This morning our sermon has two sermon texts. They're both from the book of Proverbs. The first is in Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 26. These are the words of God. The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. And the second is in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 24. A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Let us pray. Our God and Father, we pray, open these wonderful words to us today. Teach us about friendship, its power for good or for ill. And Lord, may you grant that our friendships are strong and godly, a force for good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, teens, so far we've talked about greatness. We've talked about happiness. And today we talk about friendship which is something that is very important in the Bible. Indeed, it's important to all of us. It's important to us at every age, even when we are little children. But especially when you get into the teen years, it tends to take on even more importance and greater influence. And that's why Solomon makes it a real point of discussion with his teenage son. And you can see from our two sermon texts that a big part of life is determining who is a true friend and how to be a true friend. And so to help you with that, I want to focus this morning on five essential lessons the Bible teaches us about friendship. The first is that friendship is more than companionship. Friendship is more than than companionship. Companionship is based on a common lot. You're in the same class together. You play on the same sports team. You live on the same street. You work at the same business. You serve in the same military unit. And note that these people don't normally get to choose one another. You don't normally get to choose your classmates or your teammates or your neighbors or your co-workers. You were brought together by common lot, common circumstance, and you have to get along and function together in order to make the class or the team or the workplace succeed. A friend, on the other hand, is someone you choose. You choose them, and they choose you. And while you may share a common lot, that may be well how you first meet, What is going to make you click together so that a friendship forms is common likes. It may be a common passion for a particular sport, or it may be playing music, or it may be hunting or chess or computer programming. It may be a common love for a certain author or a certain style of books. It may be a common sense of humor. It may be a common viewpoint. So friendship may start as companionship, but it is more than companionship, for friends choose one another based on common likes. The second essential lesson that the Bible teaches us about friendship is that friendship is powerful. Friendship is powerful, a force for good or ill. Friendship is one of the most powerful forces in the world. And it's not always a force for good. 
It can be a force for evil just as easily as it is for good. Indeed, in a fallen world, it is easier for friendship to be a force for evil than for good. You see, friendship is a magnifier. It magnifies two things. First of all, it magnifies the common interests of the group. So if the group of friends has come together because of a common love for basketball or music, then they're going to love that thing even more because of the friendship. But it also magnifies a second thing, which is the common characteristics of the group. If the group are characterized by good sportsmanship or cordiality, then they will be even better sportsmen and even more cordial because of the friendship. It magnifies that characteristic. But if the group are characterized by poor sportsmanship or meanness or snootiness, then they are going to be even poorer sportsmen, even meaner and even snootier because of the friendship. This is why Solomon tells his son to choose his friends carefully because if they are the wrong kind of friends, if they are the ones who are wandering down the paths of the wicked, then they are going to be a powerful force pulling Solomon's son in the same wrong direction. He will tend to take on the characteristics of the group. And the only alternative will be for Solomon's son to get out, to get out of that group, get out of those friendships, break away, disassociate from that group. That, of course, is traumatic. It's tough. The best way is to not get involved with that kind of friendship to start with. Choose your friends carefully because they're going to be a powerful force in your life, either for good or for ill. Teens, every friendship is going to change you for better or for worse. And it's not only going to affect you, it's going to affect everyone who is connected to you. If you choose good and godly friends, they will be a force for good and blessing to you personally but also to everyone who you're connected with. Your whole class at school will be better off and more blessed because of that good friendship. The whole sports team you're playing on will be blessed and better off because of that good friendship. Your families will be more blessed and better off because of the good friendship. Your congregation will be blessed and better off because of the good friendship. So choose your friends carefully so that they are forces for good and blessing in your life and all those who are connected to you. The third essential lesson the Bible teaches us about friendship is that friendship is fragile. Friendship is fragile. Now I'm talking about friendship in a fallen world. How many times, teens, have you seen friends that are super tight until they aren't. And now they're enemies. Unfortunately, life in a fallen world is full of that. And because the Bible deals with life as it really is, the Bible is full of that. 
Take the case of the two women who come before King Solomon claiming the same baby in 1 Kings chapter 3. One of them is claiming the other one's child. And she would rather see that child cut in half than let the rightful mother have the child. They are worst enemies. But just the day before, they were best friends. What happened? Their friendship was based solely on shared experiences. They shared the same house. They had everything in common. They even got pregnant at right about the same time. They had a child at right about the same time. They shared the experience of pregnancy together. They shared the joy of motherhood together. Everything is happy. And then tragically, one of their babies dies in the night, and the mother wakes up and finds her baby dead. Now, for the first time, they don't have shared experiences anymore. They have a difference. One now has encountered a tragedy, a hardship, that the other one has not. That leaves the other one with a great blessing that the first one no longer shares. Now, for the first time, there is a difference between them. Now their shared experiences have been shattered, but they're true friends, right? They'll love and help one another through this challenge, right? Wrong. They used to be friends. Now they're enemies. Where there was affection, now there is resentment and hostility. They were friends as long as they had everything in common. As soon as a difference comes in, envy comes in, resentment comes in, and the friendship turns to hostility. Envy is that little, little whiny voice within us. It whispers all the time that is constantly saying one phrase over and over. What about me? What about me? You have a friend who gets a wonderful blessing. And you find that you're happy for your friend, but in this fallen world, you find that you're not altogether happy that your friend has encountered this wonderful blessing that you have not because of that whiny little voice of envy saying, what about me? What about me? Or you encounter a hardship that your friend does not. Again, that little voice, what about me? Envy exposes the fact that our fallen sense of well-being is dependent on comparing ourselves constantly to one another and either feeling better off or worse off or at least equal to others. This makes our sense of well-being very fragile. It makes it a roller coaster. It's always going up and down. And we think we have a close friend. We think we are a close friend. But oftentimes what we have and what we are is we simply have a a friend is a person who shares the same kind of sense and level of well-being that we do. And so we're riding the roller coaster together. 
And we're taking comfort in one another as we get our sense of well-being by comparing ourselves to other people. But as soon as there is a difference, a blessing or a hardship that we don't both share, suddenly there is a difference in the roller coaster between us. And we're not going up and down at the same time anymore. Now one is going up, the other is going down. Guess what's going to happen to the friendship? Because it's fragile. That's the way friendship is in a fallen world. What is the answer? The answer is the fourth essential lesson that the Bible teaches us about friendship. True friendship requires the freedom to love as Christ loves. True friendship requires the freedom to love as Christ loves. We've looked at the two women who were best friends who became enemies because of a difference that came. I want you to think about another friendship in the Bible, and that is David and Jonathan. You can read about them starting at about 1 Samuel chapter 13 or 14, going all the way through chapter 20. Their souls are knit together. Jonathan is the son of Saul, who is the king of Israel. Jonathan stands to inherit the throne from his father. But David is the Lord's true anointed king because Saul has been rejected by God because of his unbelief and his unfaithfulness. So now Saul is really a usurper. He is holding on to the throne, and now he wants to kill David. But Jonathan's heart is knit with David, and he supports David to his own apparent disadvantage. At least that's the the way it seems. But actually throughout Jonathan, who is the picture in the Bible of a true friend, Jonathan is glorifying God. Jonathan is blessing his friend David, and Jonathan is blessing himself all at the same time. You see, Jonathan and David were united by the same kind of godliness and the same kind of spirit, the same kind of focus and staidness on the living God before they ever met one another. Jonathan and David were already seeking first the kingdom of God, before they met one another, before they ever met, before David ever came as this shepherd boy who killed Goliath. We see there that spirit of being stayed on the Lord, that spirit of seeking God's kingdom first is what sustained him in that battle with Goliath. But before that, Jonathan is out with his father and the forces of Israel and they're fighting against the Philistines. And we see Jonathan say to his armor bearer, let's go, let's go up against the Philistines, just you and me. Let's go up. Maybe the Lord will give us a victory. And then and they go up and they taunt the Philistines and the Philistines say, come down here, we got something for you. And Jonathan says, this is a sign that the Lord is with us. And they go, and the two of them kill 20 Philistine warriors. You see, this 
Same spirit in Jonathan, already before he's even met David, this same spirit seeking first the kingdom of God, being stayed on the living God. You see this kind of a joyful, brave buoyancy in Jonathan. Same thing you're going to see in David. And after David kills Goliath, Saul calls him in to to see who this young lad is. And, and he's talking to him in the throne room. Jonathan is listening. And it says as he listens to David talking to Saul that Jonathan's heart is knit with David. But what's the commonality here? It's not just shared experiences. It's not riding the roller coaster up and down together as they're in a fragile way comparing themselves to others. No, it's being stayed on the living God. It's seeking first the kingdom of the living God. It's rejoicing in the might of the living God. That's the spirit already. That's the spirit that Jonathan recognizes in David. And so his heart is knit with them. And what do they do? They form a covenant together, a covenant of friendship that invokes the name of the living God. That's what their friendship is based on, the name of the living God, the word of God, the will of God, the kingdom of God, serving that first and foremost of all. That is the commonality that gives them the foundation for the model of true friendship that we see in the Bible. Now Saul is doing the opposite. Now Saul is somebody that as soon as you saw him, you said, now there's a king. He was a head taller than everybody else. He looked like a king. But that's not who he was inside. He was not stayed on the same faith in the living God, the same commitment of seeking first the kingdom of God. Saul was always comparing himself to others and gaining his sense of well-being and self-worth in this fragile roller coaster way. That's what got him in trouble to start with. That's what led to his disobedience. God had told him through the prophet Samuel after they were fighting uh, the enemies of the Lord to wait for Samuel to arrive and they would sacrifice to the Lord and worship the Lord and so forth. And in the providence of God, Samuel is delayed. And so Saul is thinking, well, what are people basically, what are people going to think? What are people going to think? I got to do something. I got to do something. He doesn't obey the Lord. He doesn't rest on the will and the word of the Lord. He goes ahead and conducts the worship himself. He disobeys. God told him, Everything that you take in this battle, you shall offer it up to the Lord. You shall not take any of the plunder. Now, that was a way that God signifies that this is not your battle. This is my fight. This is about my kingdom in the earth. And how do you acknowledge that? You don't take any plunder for you. You offer up all the plunder to the Lord. The battle is the Lord's. The victory is the Lord's. But that's not what Saul does. He takes the best of the cattle and he gives it to the people and so forth. Again, what will people think? He's looking at others. He's not stayed on the Lord. So what happens then when uh, after David has won his great victory, he hears Saul hears the women singing. 
Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And it tears Saul up. Why? Because he's comparing himself to others. That's where his sense of well-being comes from. It turns him inside out. And he decides right there, he's going to kill David. And so Saul becomes, he here's this big man, and his soul keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And it starts shriveling up, and it shrivels, and it shrivels, and it shrivels. While the soul of David and Jonathan grows bigger and bigger and bigger. The picture of Saul then is him sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. Because a couple of different times he's tried to pin David to the wall. He even tries to pin Jonathan to the wall. He says to Jonathan, he says, are you, are you insane? You stand to inherit the throne from me and you've made a covenant with David before the Lord? Are you an idiot? No, he's not an idiot. He's godly. He has the power of the Spirit. He is seeking first the kingdom. He understands that David is the picture of the coming one, the Lord Jesus Christ. He understands that whatever we think that we can cobble together for ourselves and our sense of well-being or whatever kind of an inheritance we can cobble together in this life. And that's what this is all about. We're going to do it in our fragile sense as our souls get smaller and smaller. That is nothing compared to what we stand to inherit in Christ. Because what do we inherit in Christ? He says, the Bible says in Romans, we are joint heirs with him. We are full joint heirs with him. Everything Christ inherits, we inherit. What does Christ inherit? Everything. So Jonathan, you see, he gets it. Saul thinks my son is an idiot. He doesn't get it. No, actually, he gets it. You don't get it. He gets it. He understands what life is really about. He understands how life really works, even in this fallen world, because God is still king. He understands that. He understands that seeking the glory of God, seeking first God's kingdom, lines up perfectly with him seeking the objective good of his friend. And his friend is the Lord's anointed. He is the picture of Christ. That's not Jonathan. That's fine with Jonathan. Jonathan takes all of his armor. He takes his shield. He takes his sword. He gives it all to David. What he's saying is, My sword is your sword. My shield is your shield. I am your man. I am your friend. He understands he's not losing anything. He's gaining everything through Christ whom David pictures. You see, only true faith in the living God, only seeking first his kingdom above all things, can enable you to see what Jonathan saw. Only that can enable you to be a true friend. You To be a true friend, you have to be free. You have to be free of comparing yourselves to other people and riding the roller coaster of life. Now, 
being fallen, we all do that to a certain extent. We will find ourselves in different situations and we're back on the roller coaster. Here we go, up and down. But what it means as a redeemed sinner who's walking with the Lord is you have to recognize where you are. Ah, back on the roller coaster again. That only comes from one thing because I'm seeking my sense of well-being by comparing myself to others. I've got to get stayed back on the living God, on his word, on his kingdom, focus in on that. That is the only thing that gives you the freedom to be a true friend. And that's the only thing that gives you the freedom to have a true friend. It's only when two have that same mentality together that you have one of the most wonderful things that you can experience in this life. And that is a true Biblical friendship. It's worth its weight in gold. But you have to be free. You have to be free. Only God can give you that freedom. That freedom comes only from knowing that God is looking out for you. Romans 8.28 Realizing that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. So you don't have to, you don't need to be comparing yourself to others because God is looking out for you. So you don't have to. Even the hard things that come into your life, you experience a hardship that your friend does not. That hardship has your name on it. It's not random. It has your name on it. God wrote it. He sent it into your life for a loving purpose, to conform you to the image of Christ, to make you walk with him even more. You know that the living God is looking out for you, so you are free to seek first his kingdom, and you are free to seek the objective good and blessing of your friends no matter what. You're free. Glorifying God sacrificially, seeking the good of your friend, objectively, according to God's word, your good lines up perfectly with those other two. There is no conflict. This is what enables a true friend to tell you what you need to hear even when you don't want to hear it. This is what enables you to tell your friend what your friend needs to hear even when they don't want to hear it. Proverbs 27 verse 5 Open rebuke is better than love concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. That's the one coming to tell you the things, the hard things that you don't want to hear right now. But they're seeking your objective good. And that's why they're going to tell you. Psalm 141 verse 5. Let the righteous strike me. It shall be a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. That brings us to the fifth and final essential lesson the Bible teaches us about friendship, and that is how to evaluate a friendship. How to evaluate a friendship. And this is very simple. You ask the question, what is the effect of this friendship on me? Very simple. 
What is the effect of this friendship on me? Am I closer to God because of this friendship? Or am I further away from God? Am I more into God's word because of this friendship? Or am I less into God's word? Am I closer to my parents because of this friendship? Or am I further away? Am I living an open and honest, glad life because of this friendship? Or am I living a double life? I've got a secret life. Am I more thankful because of this friendship? Am I more thankful for God and his word, my parents, my family, my brothers and sisters, my congregation, my classmates? Am I more thankful or am I less thankful? Am I more secure in who God has made me because of this friendship? Or am I less secure? Am I more, uh, am I less self-conscious because of this friendship? Or am I more self-conscious? Do I spend less time thinking about myself because of this friendship? Or do I spend more time thinking about myself? Do I spend less time comparing myself to others because of this friendship? Or do I spend more time comparing myself to others? Am I less critical of others because of this friendship? Or am I more critical of others because of the friendship? Because of this friendship, am I more friendly? Am I more able to be interactive with all sorts of people? Or do I find myself in a clique? where I can only interact with my age group and only this little group? Or can I interact happily with adults, with grandparent generation, with little kids? I can interact with everyone happily. Sometimes a friendship can lead you in the way of the wicked, as Solomon tells his son. Sometimes you can have a friend or friends who are basically actively enticing you to evil. There's two telltale signs for that, if that's what's going on. These are two signs to always watch out for. If you have a friendship, maybe with one, a single person, or it may be with a group of friends, but if that friendship is based around forbidden fruit, something you're not supposed to do or have, but that forbidden fruit is focused on, that forbidden fruit is glorified, and that forbidden fruit is justified, you're in a friendship that's leading you in the way of the wicked. Period. The other telltale sign of that kind of a bad friendship is secrecy. Secrecy. It ends up in you having a double life. One life that is lived openly, another life that is lived secretly. And that, of course, makes the friendship seem all that more special because it's got this whole secret side. But if you've got that kind of double life going on, it is a friendship 
that is leading you in the way of the wicked period. And there is only one answer to that kind of friendship. Get out. Get out. And don't try to make it nice. Just get out. You have to end it. And that's why Solomon placed so much emphasis to his teenage son on not getting in those kind of relationships to start with. Because getting out, that's drama. That's traumatic. Nobody wants to go through that. But if the word and will of God isn't fully welcome in your friendship, it's not a true friendship. It's not going to be a blessing for you or for anybody else. And the longer you delay in that kind of relationship, the more harm, the more sadness, and the more regret it's going to bring into your life. You see, as I've told you before, when we were talking about happiness, you are going to come to agree with Solomon on these matters. God told him, I'm going to give you wisdom that no other man is ever going to have other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Solomon understood all of these things. You will come to agree with Solomon. The question is, when? Solomon wants you to agree with him now so you can avoid the regret so that you don't look back going, why did I allow myself to get into all of those relationships? Not one of them was a real friendship. All they did was beat me up, tear me up, make me miserable, and now they fill me with regret. Solomon says don't get into those kind of relationships because they're not real friendships. The kind of friendships you want is the kind that David and Jonathan had. I encourage you, go back and read those passages. Look at that wonderful friendship and what because it was based on the living God and his kingdom and look at all the wonderful blessing and fruit that flowed from it. I submit these things to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>